0: This is the Kingdom at Hand from Hosanna Free Lutheran Church in St. James, Minnesota, and I am Pastor Joe Faldette. Today's sermon is going to be a little bit more visuals heavy, and so if you're listening to this on the podcast or on the website, I, I would direct you over to our YouTube page where you can see some of the images that I'm referencing during the sermon. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. Hopefully, you'll be able to understand everything without the images. Uh, but I just wanted to give you a fair warning. You can always check out our YouTube page in general at Hosanna Free Lutheran Church, or you can find us online on our website at www.hosannafreelutheran.com. And there we have all of our uh, online access points. Listed under our listen tab. All right. Our sermon today is entitled Keeping Faith from Judges two verses six through fifteen. If you please rise out of honor of God's word. Judges two verses six through fifteen. That's found on page two hundred and fifty six in your Black Pew Bible. Judges 2, verses 6 through 15. Kind of exciting to be done with Judges 1. You know, we've only been doing this since, like, Thanksgiving. Um, And I read in Jesus' name, Judges 2, verses 6 through 15. When Joshua dismissed the people, the the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a hundred and ten years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance, in Timnath-Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. Let us pray. Father, as we come to study just one aspect of this text, I pray that you would grant us wisdom and grace, Lord, that we might be able to incorporate these truths into our lives. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So one of the things that often gets talked about Um, well, within American Christianity is this downfall of the Western church. You know, what's going on in our world? Why is it that they're becoming more non-religious people in America? Why is that on the uprise? Why is the amount of religious people on the descent in America? Now, does that mean that the Christian church across the globe is shrinking? Actually, no, it's not. In the West, or in like Africa, and South America, in China, it's just growing. And even in Russia, you know, the, the Christian church in Russia is on the upswing. It's in America and in Europe that we're really struggling. What's going on? Well, part of the reason is us. What are we doing about that? You know, are we... Teaching and training and carrying these truths on. We can't just rely upon our culture to do it because our culture isn't doing a very good job of Christianizing anybody. So then it's our responsibility as Christians to proclaim these truths into the world. And that's what's going on here in the book of Judges because during the days of Joshua, when everything was going well, when everything was strong, when When the people possessed the vision of the Lord, they saw the Lord, they saw what he was doing, they saw what he was capable of, they knew what their job was. Their job was to come in and possess the land, right? That was their goal, that was their calling. And so that's what happened during the days of Joshua and during the days of the elders that lived during the days of Joshua, they saw everything that the Lord was capable of. And as they saw everything that the Lord was capable of, they worshipped the Lord and they served the Lord. Because he, they knew that he was capable. He is God. They were not ashamed of their serving the Lord. They were not ashamed of the gospel. You know, as Paul talked about in Romans, that's what was going on in the life of Joshua. In the life of those elders, they saw this, and so they walked in this you know and and that 's hopefully that's my hope is that 's where all of you are too, that you see the works of God in your own life, that you have seen these things, that you have seen god God move, you 've seen God answer prayers, you have experienced forgiveness. And you have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life. That you have experienced sanctification in your own life. Like that's, these are joys that we have as Christians. That you have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life. That as you've been reading scripture, that questions have been answered. As you've been speaking with other Christians, that direction has been given. You know, these are things that that we should possess. And I hope that you do. Like that you yourself know God. And the joy and the comfort and the peace that that brings. That solidity of faith that we know God. Not just some, you know, what's some, the spaghetti man in the sky, I think is what the atheists are joking about nowadays. You know, they just made him up. But we know God who sent his son into the world, his son, who we know as the son of God because he died and rose again. That's the God that we know, the one who is capable of that. And if you don't know God, then I don't even know what I would do with this sermon for you. Because we're called to possess these things and to walk in these truths ourselves, to walk in Scripture in obedience to God. Because as we walk in obedience to God, we experience more and more of God. You know, as we do those things which don't necessarily make 100% sense to us. Well, maybe they do to you. They don't always make sense to me. It's like, okay, God, why, will, you know, when thinking about church discipline, why do we walk through all of these steps? You know, but when you start walking through all of those steps, and you start seeing what God does through those steps, it's like, oh, God, you're a lot smarter than I am about that. You know, our world telling us you don't really have to love your wives or honor your husbands. You know, but when you do that, what happens to your marriage? And it benefits and it grows. It's like these are, this is what it means to experience God. To see the truth of God lived out in our very lives. That's what we're called to do as Christians, right? So that's the only way that we can really transmit these truths to the next generation. Only by possessing them ourselves. Because it's really hard to give someone something that you don't have. You can't. I couldn't teach my, my children the truths of God if I wasn't walking in the truths of God. I would be telling my children, you should obey God, but I'm, I don't need to. You should trust Jesus even though I'm not. You know, th- that's my call as a dad, as a, as, and as a husband, and as a pastor. It's constantly seeing how important it is. If I'm going to be teaching these things to you guys, to my wife, to my children, that I would first be living them out, embracing them as true deeply within myself. Because if I'm not embracing them as true, what right do I have to tell any of you to do it? You know, it would be like the smoker telling other people to quit smoking. Would well, that make sense? No. The gambler telling other people, you got to quit gambling, that's going to be bad for you. I actually did have, um, I had a, a, a friend of mine, I'm not going to tell you his name, but he was a smoker, and, and he was telling me about all the dangers of smoking, and it's like, well, why are you still smoking then? Obviously, you don't really believe these things. Well, I'm addicted. Like, if they're that bad... You know, it was this long litany, but it was so poignant for me to hear that and to see his lifestyle, because that was hypocrisy. And there's nothing that turns someone off better than hypocrisy, right? It's just crazy to see how disgusting that sermon of his was to me, even though I agreed with every part of it. It was this hypocrisy that just made it distasteful. And so if I'm not walking in the truth, I can't transmit the truth because I'm also transmitting something else. I'm transmitting hypocrisy. And that says, this thing that I'm saying is true really isn't. If I speak against the evils of idolatry and then I have idols in my house. Well, we don't really have idols anymore, but you know what I mean. If I speak against the the evils of stealing and I lie to the IRS. If I speak against the evils of, um, oh boy, limit it down, Joe. <laughs> if I speak about the evils of sexual immorality and then go and look at pornography. What am I transmitting? Hypocrisy. What will that do to everything that I've said? It will turn people off from it. So if I'm to transmit this stuff, I need to live it out. And Joshua was living it out, and the people of those elders, they were living it out. And so they were doing what God was calling them to do. And but somehow this got missed. And we're not told where it got missed. Did it get missed in the transmission, or did it get missed in the reception? Because it's not just the responsibility of those transmitting. It's also the responsibility of those who are receiving. And if both parties, both the transmitter and the receiver, reject... If either of them reject the path, it's not going to get moved on. And so as a transmitter, I need to be proclaiming these things as well as I have the ability And you know, as a receiver, I need to humbly say, you know, it's quite possible that I don't know everything. Maybe. Maybe my elders might know something that I don't. Maybe. You know, 37, I I have a lot of wisdom as I almost knock off my battery pack. You know, it's like, how much do I know of the world? Versus those who have come before me. You know, and I'm I them am called to humility. And that's why as a church, the past this church, pastor, is not head. But that's why we have deacons, and that's why we have trustees, and that's why we have chairmen, that's why we have a congregation that holds your pastor accountable. Because I need this. And I need to walk in humility in that. To receive these truths myself, because as receiving these truths, I'm also then teaching the next generation. Because if I'm standing there thinking that I know everything, I'm going to reject the truths of the generation before me and try to find my own path. And you know, there is a million different paths that we could take. Actually, that's underestimating it. There's an infinite amount of paths that we could take. And there's only one way, truth in life. And so if I reject that, Try to figure it out on my own, what are the odds that I'm going to find the truth? Not very good. And so I need to be transmitting this stuff in all of the integrity that I can muster. And then as a receiver, I need to be receiving these truths with all the humility that I have, that I can potentially have. Because if both of those things aren't going on, it's going to get lost, it's going to drop out. And that's what we see happening. We don't know who failed. You know, that's oftentimes we put the, the blame on the transmitter. But you know, we're not told where it failed. I think that might be intentional. So that I can't say, well, I've been doing my job. It's the next generation that's the mess up. And my kids can't say, well, we've been doing our job. It's mom and dad that have botched it. Like, no, we're all responsible pick up these truths ourselves, to walk in them ourselves. Both my responsibility and Emily's responsibility. Believe it or not, girlie, God will hold you responsible for your path. You know, and that's the reality. These are the truths. God holds each and every one of us responsible. And so the transmitter is responsible, the receiver is responsible. Otherwise, The vision gets lost. And then what happens? And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord. So as we get into that, I want to talk to you about the vision that we then have as Christians. What does this mean to serve the Lord? And so we'll, we'll get into this idolatry in the third point. What does it mean to serve the Lord? And I, this, was, this was a tough, tough sermon for me to organize because I had to first come to an understanding of what in the, how, what does this mean for me? How do I understand this? Do I, and then once I came to understand how I understood it, do I understand it rightly? You know, Am I right? Maybe I'm wrong. Um, one of the things that we did with the World Mission Prayer League back when I was on council, was to uh, reorganize the World Mission Prayer League Council. I'll tell you what, I did not enjoy that. <laughs> but I learned a lot. For some reason they asked me to be on that board. but um, Or that committee. But when we did that, when we reorganized the council, we had a lot of discussion about ends and means. And so ends, what's the final goal? Means. The path that we use to get there. And so when we talk about serving the Lord, that means that we put the Lord as our end. He is the final goal. He is the ultimate goal. Knowing Him. Walking with Him. Understanding Him. Obeying Him. That's the final goal. That's our final end. Trusting Him. That everything else leads to that. Leads to that end. That's what it means to serve the Lord. Because if I'm serving something else, then that's my end. You know, if I was serving my own pleasure or serving my own prestige, then those things become my ends. But if the Lord is my end, what it means to serve Him is that I would be willing to make you people mad at me in order to walk in obedience to the Lord. Now, if I disobey God in order to keep someone from being mad at me, Who am I serving? My own reputation or that person. I'm not serving the Lord because then I put the Lord below that other person or I put the Lord below my reputation. So then I put the Lord as my final end. Now in these means, there's all sorts of means because we do all sorts of things. Is it wrong for us to like security? You know, one of the reasons why our ancestors moved to America, well, not all of our ancestors, some of us, like Mina, she herself moved to America. But one of the reasons that our ancestors moved to America is because they were seeking a place where they could worship securely. They didn't have to worry about the government. Like, I know that my ancestors, one of the reasons that they came was because of the stuff that was going on between the Norwegian church, the state, and the prayer houses. You know, and the battles that were going on in that situation. Because it wasn't legal for them to have church outside of the state-run church. And so then they wanted to go to a place where they could worship freely. They also wanted a place where they could have, you know, an opportunity for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All of those things too. But one of the reasons was they wanted that security. Was that wrong? No, they, used that, they sought that security so that they could worship God. And so what do we use to build security? Well, I use we use money to build security, right? So is money wrong? Is it wrong to seek money? No. As long as money is not the head. Money can be a means to security. And so if money is a means to security, and that security is a means to worship God, there's nothing wrong with it. Does that make sense? You see how that plays out how we work that out and so that then money or my work or politics or you know because why are people get so big into politics have you ever wondered that i think one of the reasons is security another reason is because they like to fight online but you know we're not going to talk about that one of the reasons is they like security so they get big into politics because they think that if they have power in the government then they'll be secure then they can do what they want or they can get other people to do what they want. and So that power, power is security. If we're using those, those things are fine. As long as they exist for the sake of the Lord. They have to serve the Lord. You know, I was contemplating a pleasure. I had a really strange experience this. wasn't this last week, it was the week before. I actually put something out on Twitter. That was a strange experience for me. Because I don't usually... Put anything out on social media because I don't trust it. Um, And so I put something out there and someone liked it. You know, they hit that little heart button. And you know what happened to me? I felt pleasure. I thought, this is strange. And I, because I saw that someone, that this person, someone had liked my tweet. Can't even believe I used that phrase. Someone had liked my tweet, and I felt pleasure about that. And I th- sat there, and I, I said, God, is this wrong? Is there something, like, what's going on? Because I'm not a social media magnate or anything of that sort. I don't seek it out. I don't pursue it. I don't, I don't put stuff out there on social media because I don't really care. And then I realized that I found pleasure in this. Well, how was I feeling pleasure? Oh, this person was affirming me. It was the affirmation that I received from someone liking what I said. So, was that wrong? Is it okay for me to feel pleasure about something? Some people are saying, no, it's not okay. No, it's okay. As far as I can tell, it's okay to feel pleasure. You know, as long as it's in worship of God. And so with this Um, chart that we have up there, those green lines, they represent righteousness. They represent the boundaries that God puts down. And so pleasure can be used to serve God when it's mixed with thanksgiving. And I was able to do that because as I felt that pleasure, I said, you know, thank God for it because it came when I was thinking about this sermon. So I was like, okay, now I've got some sort of guidance in this sermon. You know, so it was a gift from God. Even me putting something on Twitter, which is it still feels weird to say that I did that. So this pleasure that I had by putting this thing on Twitter was a gift from God, and so I could say thank you, God, to that for that, and then I can use this pleasure to worship God better. And so pleasure, when it's mixed with thanksgiving, becomes a means by which we see and understand God. But that pleasure, in order for that to be properly managed, it can only be pursued. In righteousness. So if I'm pursuing pleasure outside of righteousness, outside of those boundaries that God gives me, I can't worship God with that. And so I, I picked three, you know, but there could be more. There's oh, actually there not there could be, but there's all sorts of more. You know, if I was having an affair, can I worship God through that? No. Because I'm living outside of the bounds of God's righteousness. If I was stealing. Could I give thanks to God for the pleasure that that brings? I'm guessing that stealing brings pleasure. Otherwise, why would people steal? You know, kleptos and stuff like that. They have this desire to steal. They're addicted to stealing. Stealing bring, bring pleasure, at least to some degree. But can they worship God in that? No, because it's outside of the realm of righteousness. God says, I will, because I could. I could say, God, thank you for this pleasure that I received from stealing. Would God accept that sacrifice of thanksgiving? No. Because it exists outside of righteousness. But have I experienced pleasure from saying something? Well, we were actually talking about, it was something about leadership on Twitter that I know was proper and right and godly. You know, that is just explaining something. Could I feel pleasure from that? Yeah. It was for the glory of God that I put it on there. For the sake of the, my followers, I have followers. You believe that? It's crazy, man. I don't understand the world anymore. I have followers on Twitter. Oof. But it was for their sake. So that they could understand God better. And then I felt pleasure when I received affirmation from that. And I could thank God for that. You know, if I received pleasure in my marriage. Because you know what? I love being married. I could thank God for that. And that becomes a source of worship. But if I was using violence in order to receive pleasure, God wouldn't receive that worship. God wouldn't receive that because it's outside of the realm of righteousness. So I can't say, well, I'm doing this for the glory of God if I'm doing something that God doesn't desire. God doesn't receive that worship. But that's what people want to do. And that would be the ability to make a God after my image. So what happens when idolatry comes into our life? Because if we're going to serve God, that means he's our ultimate end. That means farmers, that you farm for the sake of God. Laborers, you labor for the sake of God. Students, you student. Student, study. (laughs) I caught up in my... Students, that you study for the sake of God. Not just for the sake of grades, but that you'd get good grades for the sake of God. Out of trusting God, that you'd get good grades out of submission to your teachers, knowing that submitting to your teachers will ultimately benefit you in the rest of your life. You know, learning how to submit, I tell you what, it's not... Learning how to submit, that is, that is a talent that needs to be worked up because I'm still struggling to figure out how to even do that. But those are, things, those are good things. We do these things for the sake of God. I don't submit for the sake of my reputation, I submit for the sake of God. If He is my Lord, if I serve Him, all of these things that exist in my life need to ultimately end in Him. Does that make sense? This is what worship means. This is what it means for Joshua and the elders of that day to serve the Lord, that he was the end. What happens when idolatry comes in. Idolatry comes in, we remove the Lord, and now we've got whatever is at our next level. So I had security and pleasure. You could have anything up there. You know, really, you could have anything. You could just say self, but when that moves up, Security was represented by Baal. Baal was a storm god. And so he was the god that brought rain. And Israel needed rain. They weren't the Nile. Like the Egyptians, they worshipped the Nile because the Nile brought them water. Then they were able to use that water to grow their crops. Farmers, what happens when you don't have any water? Crops don't grow. Gardeners, farmers, whatever. You know what happens when there's no water? And so they worship Baal because Baal... if promised that if they worship me, I will bring rain. Which is one of the reasons why Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, because they were worshiping Baal, who was supposed to be the rain god. And so when Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, really, Elijah was saying to the people, Baal's not really in control. My God is. So that's what was going on during the days of Elijah. When it didn't rain for seven years, Baal was powerless. Powerless. They realized that their Baal worship didn't work. But Baal represented security. Because Baal was the one that brought rain, which brought the crops. So it was all on Baal. Ashtaroth represented pleasure. She was actually a, a, well, whatever. Ashtaroth represented pleasure. I'm just going to leave it right there. We're not going to go into that. If you have any questions, ask your parents. Um, (laughs) If they're not around, ask Linda. Um, (laughs) But Ashtaroth represented pleasure. And so what ended up happening is they person—they took these gods, or they took these desires and they personified them. They made them into gods. And if you look at the Greek gods, that's what the Greek gods are. You know, Ares, um, who is the god of war. Mars, if you wanted to use the Roman designation. Ares was the god of war. He was the god of unrestrained passion. That which just drives forward. That was Ares. And then you had... Um, Venus or you had Aphrodite who was pleasure, you know, lust personified. Zeus was control, control personified with Zeus. And so all, not that he had self-control, but that's beside the point. Um, But all of these gods, all throughout the history of humanity, all of these gods represent something. And like even nowadays, Islam, what does Allah represent? Domination. Because Islam is submission. That means you have someone that dominates. Why does Islam, why do the men look like they do? Because they're embodying Allah. They're dominating everything that they're in. And so that's what Islam is doing. That's what's going on in our world nowadays. And so all of these pagan gods are the personification of something specific a desire, a passion. A drive, a motivation. They are the personification of one of those things. So when we remove the Lord, who is, well, true. (laughs) And so he's the personification of all of these things brought into their proper order. That's who the Lord is. If you serve the Lord, all of these desires get submitted into their proper order. So you could say he's the personification of order, but order over everything. Because he's the one that brings order. So all of these deities are the personification of these lesser desires. And so what ended up happening in Israel is security became the top. And so Baal became the top. Ashtaroth served Baal. And so what they ended up doing is they ended up having temple prostitutes in order to encourage Baal to bring the rain. So they used pleasure. I know, it's crazy. But they used pleasure in order to serve Baal. They used their money in order to serve Baal, in order to serve security. And so their money did that, served their Baal and, and their, their relationships and their politics. All of these things served Baal. They used their homes to serve Baal. And all of these paths led to Baal. Once they removed the Lord, it's not that they ceased to have a God. It's that they ceased to have a God that actually did more than just bring security, which he wasn't able to bring anyways because Satan never fulfills his promises. Satan never fulfills his promises. And so what they sought was Baal instead of seeking the Lord. And they sought security above all other things. And so then they sacrificed order for the sake of, the, of, the of Baal. They sacrificed their land for the sake of Baal. They sacrificed their families for the sake of Baal. They sacrificed their money for the sake of Baal. That's what idolatry is. The thing that we sacrifice other things for is what we worship. What comes between you and God? That's the question. Is there something that stands between me and God? Does my reputation as a pastor, so what do I I struggle with? I can't just point the finger at you guys because this is me too. What do pastors struggle with? the desire for affirmation oftentimes. Does that stand between me and God? Am I going to pursue affirmation or am I going to pursue righteousness? How about reputation? Am I going to pursue my reputation so that, you know, the people in the AFLC, whatever that's worth, think of me as great. Is that what I'm going to pursue? Disobey God in order to pursue that? You know, these are questions that come up. What am I willing to sacrifice my relationship with God for? Is there anything? Strive against that because that's sin. Then the second question, and this is a question I really want to leave you guys with because we're coming to an end. How can I use all that God has given me in order to serve him? Because I'm called to serve him, right? So how can I use my ability to withstand chaos? Other people call that messiness. I'm just putting a nice spin on it. My ability to withstand chaos to serve God. Because I can withstand quite a bit. Just look at my office. Um, (laughs) When Janet hasn't been there to tidy up after me. But that's, you know, how can I use that to serve God? How can I use my my ability to speak in public to serve God? How can I use whatever these gifts are, the money that God has given me, the family that God has given me? Because my family is not an end. The purpose of my family is to serve God. So I train my children to serve God. And I help teach my wife and encourage her to serve God. as she does the same thing to me. You know, my position as pastor to serve God. Because I can use my position as pastor to serve me. How do I use all of these things that God has given me? And these are things that I think about, that I've had to think about as I've studied this passage. So that's what I want you to ask, too. What things has God given me? What talents, what abilities, what situations, what opportunities has God given me? How can I use these things to serve God? Because you know, that's what it means to possess the vision that Joshua had. Joshua took all he had, served God. How can I use my time to serve God? And is what I'm using it for actually serving God? How do we know that? Does it exist within those bounds of righteousness? Any questions? I hope that's not too just abstract and crazy talk. But this is important. How can I use this? Whatever this is, every aspect of your life, how can I use this to serve God? Because if it's serving some other thing, you're creating an idol. And that's not going to work out well. It didn't work out well for the Israelites. It won't work out well for us. Amen. Let us pray. Father, let us serve you. Lord, and where we have failed, where I have failed and fall short, thank you that you forgive. Lord, and I do ask forgiveness. Lord, and thank you that you forgive. Lord, help us to repent and be humble but to seek you or to understand these things ourselves, to walk, to serve you or to walk as you would have us to walk humbly before you. Lord, may you be our ultimate and our final end. Lord, may we gather all we have in service of you. Lord, so that we don't set up some God that's not capable, but that we seek you. Lord, we thank you. We ask these things and we praise you then in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this. Again, if you ever want to check out our video section, you can always check out our YouTube or we are on BitChute, uh, Library, and Brighteon, although the Brighteon uploader is causing me some difficulties. But you can always check that out or come and visit us in person here at Hosanna. Our worship service is at 10 a.m. and our Sunday school is at 9 a.m.